So how are you all? Good. It's good to see you. For me, I must admit this morning has been a very hectic morning. You would think coming at 10.15, it wouldn't have been, but, but it was. So I just want to take a few minutes and just kind of, I need to center a little bit. And um, maybe, maybe I'll, I would welcome your prayers if you want to pray for me just for a few minutes. And then I'll get into God's word and, and we'll do this. So I just want to sit for a moment and be quiet before the Lord. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Thank you, guys. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7, we commonly refer to it as the Sermon on the Mount. And it's this block of teaching from Jesus. Some would argue it was all kind of put together from different teachings, but yeah, I really don't care what they think. It's in red letters. And so it's the words of Jesus. Now, chapter five begins with Jesus speaking these things called the Beatitudes. Blessed are those, blessed are those. And I'm thinking as I was preparing for this week, what a great sermon series that might make for the beginning of the year um, for us to kind of engage the Beatitudes. But I digress, and that's a few months away. Uh, but then Jesus, Jesus begins to teach, and, and, the, and what he begins to teach, especially in chapter 5, almost seems, it almost looks like he's teaching Christian conduct. That in order for you to follow God, follow me, be a Christian, whatever you want to call it, this is the way that you are supposed to be acting. This is the way that, that, that things are supposed to look in your life. And so he'll start off, he'll say, people, you are, you're the salt of the earth. You you can season this world to a different flavor. You can season this world to, to a God flavor. And then he'll say, you are the light of the world. And to let your light shine in the darkness. Let your light shine before people. And then God, God gets the glory. And then he'll go on. And this is, this is, where, this is where he starts to, to raise the bar a little bit. And it makes me a little uncomfortable. It makes me a little bit nervous the way he talks. Because he goes, he says, the next thing he talks about is murder. He says, you've heard it said, you know, you shouldn't kill. And we all kind of get that. We understand that. But then he pushes it a little farther and says, you know what? If you're getting angry with your brother and sister, you're, you can be judged. And that's, he doesn't just leave it right there. He, he takes it even further. He says, if you call somebody a fool who's not a fool, because in the Bible, the Bible calls a fool a fool all the time. But if you call somebody who is not a fool a fool, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Do you see how he's, it's coming up a little bit here. It's moving up. And then he speaks about adultery. You've heard it said, don't do it. We all get that. But then he goes, and he's speaking to the men, but I think, women, you're not alone. I mean, we're not alone in this. It could be for you too. If you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her in her heart, in your heart. If you, if you look at another man lustfully, you've committed adultery with him in your heart. And he talks about divorce. And divorce is this, this uh, painful thing we, we have. It's, it's, it's so frequent in our culture. And it's something very painful and very hard for, for many, many people. But what Jesus would say essentially is, listen, it's not about you just saying, you know what? I'm tired of you. We're not getting along. Let's just end it. 
It, it, you, you just can't do that anymore. It's not just something that you can throw away. The marriage covenant is, is a covenant, and, it's, and it's, it's deeply spiritual before God. He'll speak on oaths. You've heard it said you should, take, you should follow through on your oath, especially to the Lord. But then he, said, he says, listen, you know what? Just, just keep it simple. Keep it honest every day and every moment. When you say yes or no, just let your yes be yes and let your no be no. And then he goes, then he goes, eye for eye stuff. You heard it said, it's, it's an eye for an eye, man. That's, that's good old fashioned Old Testament stuff. It means that if somebody pokes you in the eye, guess what you get to do? Poke them back in their eye. Got to be the same eye to follow the law. But Jesus would say, no, mm-mm. don't even resist an evil person. Don't even resist an evil person. In fact, if they hit you in one cheek, give them the other one. Let them pop you in that one too. And then, and then this, this Jesus has the chutzpah to talk about loving your enemies. He would say, you've heard it said to love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I say, oh, nay, nay, love and pray for those who persecute you. Do you see the bar is raising and raising and raising? Love your enemies. And what Jesus is talking about, it's not just this, this, you know, um, yeah, I kind of love them. It's a tangible expression that you would love them. You would do things for the people who don't like you. Who the people that maybe you don't like. (laughs) God bless you. He would also say, you know, it, it, what, what good is it if you just love the people who love you? I mean, even wingnuts do that. And, and that's my translation. I take it deep from the Hebrew. Uh, and, and, and so he's talking about loving your enemy, murder, oaths, adultery. Love your enemy. And then we get to the end of chapter 5. And, and this is the last verse in chapter 5. And Steve, would you put the verse up? He will say this. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, that verse messes with me. Be perfect. There's not a lot of wiggle room in the word perfect. And then he adds the just like God is perfect. So now we have absolutely no wiggle room at all. See, as Jesus followers, we've been called to live in in a different way. Not from a worldly perspective or from a social perspective or a cultural perspective. We're called to live from a kingdom perspective, a a God-kingdom perspective. And it's very different from what the world would say. But in, in Jesus' day, in the Jewish community, in the Jewish culture, they became very comfortable with God's law. They came, became very comfortable with the Levitical law, the 613 do's and don'ts that they were supposed to follow because it had this nice mix of morality and it had some ethics in there. We sprinkle a little God in it and we can make a religion out of it. But Jesus is demanding us something much, much deeper, something more intense, something that is just unfathomable in my mind. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And what I believe that Jesus is saying is, see, y- y'all got to look deeper behind the law. You got you to look past just the rules 
past the the words. And if you can do that, you will begin to see in those words who God is. You will begin to see his character and his nature of who he is and who he calls us to be. You see, rules in and of themselves, in theory, they can be kept. You can, be, you can keep the rules if you really wanted to because rules are very external. It's like you don't drive the speed limit because that's what God has put in your heart. You don't want to get a ticket. Now, come on, you got to keep it real. And so you're not, you, you don't, you don't pull, get pulled over by the officer and look at him and say, I'm so sorry, officer. The Lord has convicted me deep in my heart that I've sinned against him and you. You try to sweet talk your way out of it. And ladies, I know some of you have cried your way out of it. And so rules are this very external thing that, that we can follow. And it only requires either behavioral modification or maybe a shock collar. It depends on how stubborn you really are. But you can, you can get to some of them. You can follow some of those rules. You can actually, and maybe not all of them. Nobody can follow all of the rules, especially the rules that God lays out. But, but you, can, you can get some. The Pharisees in Jesus' day, they were quite proud of themselves how they followed the rules. But Jesus says, be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, kingdom life, the bar, the bar is way up here. Kingdom life is the perfection of God, not what you think you can do, not if you can follow the rules, not how many rules you can follow. Kingdom perfection is not going to happen by you changing your behavior or you changing yourself or you trying harder. It only happens when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you claim his righteousness and his perfection and the Holy Spirit enters into your heart, into your soul, and and that starts to change you from the inside out. And then you can begin to live the way Jesus calls us to live. You can't love your enemy by yourself. It's only the spirit of the Lord that's in you that will allow you to love your enemy. Sanctification is the process of the Holy Spirit getting a hold of you and changing you. It's a maturing process in the Lord. It's a growing process. And... The story of David, by the time we get to 2 Samuel, we looked at first Sam, um, 2 Samuel last week, chapter 1. David finds out Saul is dead and Jonathan is dead. And so he grieves and he mourns. And now in chapter 2 of 2 Samuel, David becomes king of Judah. And seven years go by from chapters 3 to 5. And, and some, some events take place. But seven years in a matter of three chapters, four chapters go by with David. And by the time we get to chapter 5 of 2 Samuel, David is now king of Israel. He is king of all of the tribes. He has united the northern tribes to Judah, and David rules as king. And then there's this verse in 2 Samuel, verse five of, um, chapter 5, verse 10, and it reads this. And he, David, became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. Something is happening with David. 
Something is changing with David. Something's going on, and it's a big deal. Because now David has become the man. He is king of Israel. Up until seven years ago, he was on the run. He was a hunted individual. Saul wanted him dead. He was despised. He was a somebody only because he was a nobody who was being hunted by the king. And now things have changed for him. And things are beginning to change even more and more. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what is becoming of David? What is becoming of him on this journey? This is what's becoming of him. And he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty is with him. Now that phrase um, became more and more powerful in the Hebrew. You can take it, you can drill down a little bit and it's much more poetic. It has a very, as a, as a, a deeper meaning. It could be, it could be translated as David, he, his stride became longer and he had a larger embrace. David is becoming more David, more David than he's ever been. Why? Because the Lord God Almighty is with him. It's nothing that he has done. It's not because of his good behavior. It's not because he's following the rules. It's because the Lord, his God, is with him. And he's aware that God is with him and walks with him. He had a longer stride. If you read chapter 5, it says that he's going to battle the Jebusites. Because the Jebusites have... Uh, they have uh, Jerusalem. That's where they live. And, and, and they mock David. They say, man, the blind and lame can take you on. And you think you're going to come marching in here. And David devises this plan with the help of the Lord. And he goes in and he takes the city. He takes the city for himself. And he takes the city for God. And now it's called the city of David. Zion. His, his stride became longer. And his embrace Larger. David is now king over all of God's people, not just the tribe of Judah, but all of the tribes have been united under David. He is the king of all God's people. He has unified the kingdoms. He brought it all together and he will serve and live with his people, with God's people. He has matured in his awareness of the Lord. And he didn't use his power and his authority in a hateful or violent way, he used it to unify and bring together. And now there's unity in his leadership, and there is unity in the people of God. Things have changed for David, and things will continue to change for David. Change is really the only constant thing that we have in our lives. It's the only thing that will never go away. Change is the only thing that really doesn't change. And just because things change for us in our life doesn't mean we are growing or maturing in the Lord. You see, change, if we let it, can, can actually, it can lessen who we are as people. It can, it can draw us, it can force us to forget where we've come from and the things that we learned and, and make us lose focus on, on where we want to go. Just because change is happening doesn't mean it's, it's a good change. It's a positive change. I mean, as life happens and the circumstances shift and move, how many people have you ever heard them say, man, I wish, man, I wish I can go back to when I was in my 20s. I wish I can go back when I was a teenager. 
Maybe, maybe some of you might have said that, man, I wish, I wish I can go back to those good old days when whatever, when it was easier, when it was simpler, when you didn't have so much to do. And so you've changed, but it's, it's not a maturing change. You have this desire to go back here. And it's like nothing from that point on is any good. And so change isn't always just a good thing. But then there's, there's, there's God change. There's life-giving change. There's a maturing kind. And something different happens to us. And we begin to deepen who we are. And we, we open our lives and we live our lives more generously. We become more and more because the Lord God Almighty is with us. And we become aware of that. For 17 years, David was in the wilderness And he was being hunted and hated and living and warring with the Philistines. And then he was just king over this one little tribe. But God would change him and mature him. And David matured into a man of prayer, a man of worship, a man of God. See, change can happen without God. But maturity happens because of God. Because God is in your life. Because the Lord Almighty is with you. Maturity happens then. David, in chapter 5, it's this pivotal time for him. He's, he's having a moment. Ethan and I, one of our favorite places to go hiking is uh, Ragged Mountain. And we, we hike in the fall because I hate bugs. And, uh, but you know, what, you know what they have? I, uh, let me get off a ride trail here. So I'm, I'm driving down the road, and these late, you know those electric um, tennis things, but the, the bugs? These ladies were walking with them like, I'm like, it's genius. We could take these in the woods. I digress. But so Ragged Mountain is, is just this place that Ethan and I, we like to hawk, uh, hawk, hike. And, and, so, and so you start at the, you know, you start at where you park and you kind of walk into the woods. You walk up through the woods, up through, and you kind of bounce and weave through. And then you kind of come to this ridge and you walk along the ridge a little bit. And you, and you weave back and forth into the woods, back onto the ridge. Uh, and, and so there's just this really nice, it's actually a nine-mile loop trail that it's just very, it's a, it's a good hike. It's got some challenging parks on it, uh, parts on it. And so you walk for, I don't know, maybe an hour, maybe a little over an hour. And then you come, I guess, to the top. You come to the, the summit and it just kind of, you come out of the woods and it just opens up and it's the top of the cliff. And people, they rappel off it and they climb up it. And um, it's just, you can see all of the towns out in front of you. You can see the reservoirs. It's just beautiful up there. In the fall, it's very beautiful because all the trees are, are changing. And you can see all the houses that are, I mean, it's a, kind of a rural area. But you can see the houses and we get our binoculars up there. We're creeping on people in their yards as they're mowing their lawn and stuff. But I mean, in a good way. And, and so it's just, a, it's a place that we could just sit down and you take your shoes off and you just kind of rest. There's always a breeze up there. And, uh, and you got, you, you got to have snacks. It's imperative with my son. You have to hike with snacks. Snacks are a big deal. He plans the snacks very well. And so, you know, you're having a snack and, and you're just relaxing. You see, that's just as important to sit and rest as hiking and walking. It's not... Hiking is just not about logging as many miles as you possibly can log. It's about enjoying the outdoors. It's about seeing nature and just resting and enjoying being outside and hearing the sounds and having good conversation. It's all part of the experience. Not hiking is just as important as hiking is when you're on a hike. Are you tracking with that? 
to sit there and enjoy the outdoors and the summit at the top of Ragged Mountain. It's just a place where, where you can just kind of, you, you kind of think about where you've been and, and, you, and you think about now the rest of the hike and, and where you're going. And in, in our lives, we have many moments like that all of the time. Uh, at times when we're just kind of journeying along in life and, and, we're, and we're just going along. And then, and then we come to a place or we come to a time where we just kind of stop. It's a place where we just kind of stop and rest and we think about where we've been. We think about where we're going. And it's a time to reflect and it's a time to celebrate. And, and we, call them, we call them like birthdays. And we call them anniversaries. Sandy and I just celebrated 22 years yesterday. I'm two years into my five-year contract. Pray for me that she renews me after 25 years. Uh, the Trimborns are celebrating. Are they here? They're ce- today. 28 years, they're celebrating their anniversary. And so these are, these are moments where we, where we can reflect and we stop and we celebrate. We call, them, we call them graduations. We call them reunions. We call them the church picnic at Cheshire Park to celebrate and stop and say, this is where we've come and this is where we're going. But let's just take a moment now and just to, to celebrate and just to be. David is having one of those moments at this point in chapter 5 of 2 Samuel. David. David is becoming... More and more, because the Lord, his God, is with him. For the last eight sermons as we've been together, we have traveled with David. And David has been, he's been on the rise. He's been the up and coming guy. And now, we've journeyed with him up to this point for over 20 years of his life. We have summarized 20 years of a man's life into eight teachings. And we've only just scratched the surface. Remember, we started our journey with him when he was the youngest brother, overlooked by, the, by his family. And the prophet Samuel says, man, there's got to be another one. And David comes, and he is anointed king. And then he fights the giant, and he kills him, cuts his head off, becomes a national hero. He serves as a musician in Saul's courts, but then Saul seems to not like him too much, and so he wants to kill him. And so he's forced to live out in the wilderness. David's on the run, and he's hunted. And then he gets this, this posse of people that are with him. Not the nicest people. They're despised and all stressed out. And by the time he gets 600, he's given his, his own town and he's living in the Philistine enemy territory. And then, and then Saul is killed. And then he becomes king of Judah. And then after seven years in his story, at the age of 37, David becomes king of Israel. At age 37, many, many years ago, he was anointed as king, but it didn't come to fruition until he was 37 years old. But his story is just like our story. Because his story is a story about, it's just about being human. It's about humanity. It's about the things that we go through in our lives with all of the different chapters. Different chapters of hurt and pain and hardship. Chapters of promise and success and joy. I mean, just think of a moment of your own life. 
the story of your life, where you sit. Just think back. You were born. You were a toddler. You grew up. You were in middle school, junior high. You, became, you went to high school. Maybe in high school you got your first job. Maybe some of you went to college after that. You graduated college. You got your first job out of college. Then you got your first job, like your first good job out of college. And then you launched into a career. And then all of a sudden you weren't married. And now you're married. And now you have kids. And some of you got grandkids. There's so many different stories within the one story of our lives. Just like David, you can tell them over and over and over again. And I would say that God weaves himself through the entire narrative of our life. Even if you don't recognize it. Even if you're not believing it. God is weaving himself through it. We are not... We, we cannot be separate from God. No one is. It doesn't matter what you believe about him. Everything we are and have been created as, God has done it. And your belief has little to do with that truth. God has created us. That is the truth for every single human being that has walked this planet, that is walking this planet, and that will walk this planet. And for the people who don't believe, that doesn't make God any less. It just makes them less human, less of who they could be. And if we're to have any chance at this, this, this life, to have a good life, uh, a, a moving forward life, not just change, but maturing and growing life. We need to understand the truth of who we are, that we followers of Jesus Christ have been redeemed and we're being sanctified and we've been forgiven and we are loved beyond what we can ever imagine. And we also have to understand the truth of what this world is and the world we, that we have to discern all of the deceptions that come at us, whether they be religious or social or political, all of these options that we can pick and choose from. And all they want to do is pull us away from our awareness of God, pull us away from us focusing everything we have on him. And they want us to take our focus off the Lord and they want us to focus on that thing, this other thing. Maybe this is a little bit better. And we are never going to come to a, a maturity Unless, unless we learn to focus and be aware of the Lord our God, David became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. You know, a few years ago, the word organic was, was the hot word in Christianity, evangelical world. Everything was organic. And they were having conferences and they were writing books, you know, organic Christianity, organic church, organic worship, organic the discipleship. If you wanted to sell a book, you just had to throw organic on it and you were good to go, man. People were just sucking those things up. I got a hundred of them. But anyway, um, and, and, and so, but, but as cliche as it might sound, that's the way our Christian lives are. It's organic because organic is living. And so we go through our life and we're in, in this spiritual journey and we're growing and we're learning and we're dying and we're dying to ourselves and we get beat up, we get knocked down, we pick ourselves back up again. It's this very organic thing. It's not linear in motion. If it was, then you can write the book on it. But it's not that way at all. It's just this twist and turn. It's, it's like a vine on the trellis. It just weaves its way all over the place. That's, that's the way our lives are. We're, we are organic. God is not some life coach. 
that we hire that he can give us some advice on how to live our lives well. He is not the, he's not the guy on the sidelines with the playbook calling out the plays. Run left, run right. That's not who God is. The gospel isn't something that we, we learn and then we take the, the instruction manual and then we just kind of go through the steps on, on the gospel. The gospel is something that, that we become more and more a part of. The gospel is something that we, because of the Holy Spirit in us, we mature into. It's not something we can just figure out technically, academically. As we surrender to the Lord our God, we surrender to his creative work in us. We surrender to his salvation work in us. As we surrender our humanity to him, we mature into men and women of faith and prayer and worship. You know, we live in a self-help culture. We love the self-help books. It's the biggest section in any bookstore you want to go in, the self-help. And the self-help gurus write the self-help books, and all you got to do is read those books, and you just have to take, you have to take your, you have to look inside yourself, and you have to discern what's going on, and you, and you have to, you know, maybe, maybe fill out the worksheet to try to figure out what's wrong with you. And then just follow the seven to ten easy steps to becoming a better you, and ta-da, you have arrived. We love self-help, but... Okay, so, so yeah, we all need self-help, all right? You're all a bunch of broken, messed up people. And, and I'm with you, man. I, I'm your leader, so I, I'm there. And, and so it's not necessarily a bad thing. There's no doubt that we all need help in some part of our lives. But the Bible and David, they will go at it in a very different way. See, the Bible starts with God. Not you. You got nothing. The Bible starts with God, what he's doing, what he's up to, what's he, what's he doing in your life, in and around you, what's he doing at your job, what's he doing in your family. And, and maturity is about being able to discern those things and then join him in what he's already doing. We can change without God. But we mature into him being aware of him because of him. We can change without God, but we mature into him, being aware of him and because of him. Everything that was David was defined by this relationship with the Lord. And he is becoming more and more powerful. Everything was defined by this relationship. And it was such, it was just this I, I, I work and I pray, and, and not that you should work and it's just a, a part of me, but David has this relationship with the Lord that is just so like our relationship. Just like he talks to him. Shall I go up against them? The Lord says, yes, you should. Okay, I'm going to. And I mean, I mean, how many, I mean, some of, some of you have been praying for months about the same thing. Has the Lord not spoken to you? Or are you just arguing with him because you didn't like to answer? 
But David has this, this fluid relationship with him. And it's personal and it's intimate. And, and he gets angry at him. And he tells him, God, I'm angry at you. And, he, and, and it's just honest and it's joyful. And, and sometimes he just, he just is. And I said this last week that God is not some theology for him. He's not a doctrine or a dogma. God for David is a real person loving and guiding and caring for his every need and blessing him and blessing him. David became more and more powerful because the Lord, his God, was with him. The Lord God Almighty was with him. David is maturing into the man that God is calling him to be. Why? Not because he's working, not because he's trying, not because he's a good rule follower. Because of that, the Lord God Almighty was with him and he recognized it and walked in it and pursued it and was honest in it. And when we become aware of the Lord in that way, in that depth, and with that experience, we we just won't change. But we will mature and become more and more. We will mature in spite of ourselves because the Lord our God is with us. And see, I think, I, I think that for some of you, you don't believe that for a minute. See, I think some of you, you know about God and you know that all this God stuff and the crazy bald guy who yells on Sunday and and but you don't believe that the Lord your God is with you. You don't believe that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have no idea of the power and the authority that's been given to you because of the Lord God Almighty. You have no idea how deep your forgiveness goes. You have no idea how much you are loved. If you want to walk in that power, if you want to walk in that power, you just have to believe and accept the Lord your God is with you. The Lord your God is with you. And when you begin to receive that truth, when you begin to let that seep into your soul, you will begin to mature and you will be able to live the life that Jesus calls us to live. To live the life toward others the way God lives a life toward us. See, it's not about us. It's always been about him. David became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. Church, each one of you in here can become more and more powerful if you will just realize, become aware that the Lord your God, the Lord God Almighty is with you. Lord, I want to thank you for your grace and mercy for the story of David. I want to thank you for the beautiful day that's outside and, and just the excitement of fall and, and cool weather and the changing of leaves. Lord, I want to pray a blessing upon each person in this room this morning that they would receive that truth and walk as David would walk and that they would become more and more powerful because you walk with them and they would receive that. I pray, Lord, that they would receive the power of the Holy Spirit in their life right now, that they would open themselves up to that truth and walk in it. We love you, Lord. Thank you. I love you guys. We'll see you next week.